it was many, many, many months ago that I taught, and we were in 1 John, and um, my intention was to finish teaching through 1 John, but then um, the Lord kind of spoke to me on a, on a Sunday morning once when I was reading through Psalm 106, and um, we ended up uh, here tonight in 1 Corinthians, kind of an interesting title, and hopefully very soon that'll be become uh, very apparent why um, I gave it that title. Lord willing, it will be a two-part message. We'll be in uh, Corinthians tonight, and then next Wednesday, um, a very related message to what we're going through tonight would be Psalm 106. I have many more cross-references than this, but most of them will just be going through Corinthians chapter by chapter, so you don't need to write all of them down. I do have some sheets in the back if you Um, would like those also. So I ask that you just bear with me because I want to kind of develop some of the the backdrop to getting to our text of 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11. And as always, I like to mention uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. I think every time I teach, I reference that. But I would like us to um, all come in agreement that we all wholeheartedly believe uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, which is instruction, for reproof, which can be conviction or evidence, for correction, which, remember, we talked about it means a straightening up, or for instruction, uh, a tutoring or training. So can we all agree that we do believe the word of God? And so it's going to be very important because we're going to be going through Corinthians. Corinthians is going to be pointing the Corinthian church back to the forefathers, the Israelites. So again, it's a good basis because I think we're going to be challenged tonight to look at the example, the warning that Paul gave to the Corinthians. Um, And so I just think it's very important to remember that the scriptures that we are reading tonight are for us also, and they're to encourage us. So I would like to just take a moment and let's just start because it's a very pivotal verse. We're going to just read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. So as Paul was writing in the Corinthians, he said, Now all these things happen unto them for ensamples. The them would be the forefathers, the Israelites. So he was looking back, and he said, And they are written... For our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And again, this is where I want to take a little time. And the the reason this is so pivotal, because as we're going to get into it, he talks about to the Corinthians, the Israelites, how they had many privileges, spiritual blessings, but then many of them were overthrown in the wilderness. So he's he's pointing back and he's saying, All these things happened for ensamples. In the King James, that's what it says. Um, Some of you might have examples. And they're written for admonition. So this word in the Greek, in samples, um, there's the the primary verb is uh, uh, tupto, which uh, what what that means is it's more of an action. It means to thump repeatedly. And as I was um, reading in in the Greek, they say it's almost like taking a stick and just pummeling with repeated blows just over and over and over again. Um, I liken it to, you know, the karate kid when um, 
uh, Miyagi told, told him that he had to go and he had to wax on and wax off all of the cars. I mean, he, it was something that was repetitive and was action. And, and another form of the Greek um, is tupos, which it means that it's like a die, a stamp, or a scar. Figuratively, it means a type or a model, something to imitate. So Paul was, was, was telling the Corinthians that all of these things happened to the Israelites, and these things happened to them because they were um, a stamp or a scar that would be left that people, believers, could learn from. So this is what Paul was encouraging the Corinthians by using this Greek word, um, which is tupos, which means a stamp or a scar. So just remember that as we're going through and dissecting and reading um, 1 Corinthians 10 and going back, we'll be reading uh, Psalms and the Numbers. When we're, We need to remember that what we're reading are a model in imitation of what we should not do for our Christian walk. And then the word uh, admonition in the Greek is nutheza, which is, means a calling attention to or mild rebuke to Strong's concordance. And then the Vine's expository dictionary says that word admonition means putting in mind or it can mean training by word, not necessarily the word. We're going to be in the word, but it, it means a training someone by the use of word. And that's why I think it's so important to, again, go back to 2 Timothy 3.16. We have the word that we'll be reading tonight, and uh, my prayer is that it will warn us and train us and teach us you know, by the word that we're going to read. So as I was, you know, contemplating, you know, the starting here with all scriptures given by God and, and the warning, and I, and I thought, you know, why, why don't we always listen to warnings? Um, and, I, and I was asking the Lord for an example, and I guess the best one, one of the best ones I could uh, come up with, and uh, my wife and I have traveled to Colorado many times. I used to live there. Those of you who have traveled west of Denver through the mountains to go skiing or whatever in I-70, this, this may ring a bell. But really, I think lots of times the reason we won't heed a warning is because of pride or self-reliance. Or we say, you know, I've got this. You know, maybe other people need to worry about it, but I got this. So I'll use an example about uh, 10 to 15 miles maybe west when you're just hitting the foothills of Denver. Um, there is a, on I-70, there's a hill called Floyd Hill. I just pull it out of my memory. Um, it's, it's about a six, a six to six and a half percent grade over four to five miles. And, um, you know, they have the warning sign, like even before it starts, it says, caution ahead, six percent grade next five miles. And, um, I've traveled through there enough and I've seen enough, um, you know, accidents. Um, I've smelt uh, the the rubber burning on tires. I've seen at the the bottom of a hill. I've seen trucks with you know engines that are smoking. The point is, they give you a, a clear warning, but many times people do not listen. And if I have to confess, every time 
I go through. I'm usually not driving as fast as the other people, but uh, usually my wife will say, love, um, you should probably slow down a little bit I'm, and because there's winding curves. It is a very steep grade. And you know what happens is on, on that particular you know, hill is very sharp corners, several thousand foot drop over several miles and it just continues. And at first, if you don't heed the warning, you know, you get going, you're going 70, 75, 80 miles an hour, but it gets steeper and steeper and it keeps going. And you know, the inertia of the vehicle, sometimes you can get to the point where you cannot stop or if you are gonna stop, you're gonna wreck your car. So I thought it was a good, you know, real life example of the warning. You know, there are some people that are out there. I've seen truck drivers that go exactly the speed they're supposed to and in downshift. But I would say 80 to 90% of the people and all the times I've gone through there are disregarding the speed limit. They, they are not slowing down. And, you know, sometimes there's fatality. Sometimes the trucks have to go on the runaway ramps, you know, if they're, um, you know, fortunate enough to have one. But let's keep that in mind as we're going to be reading about a warning that Paul, many warnings that Paul is going to give to the Corinthians, which he's giving to us, that, you know, the warning, why don't we listen to the warning? because sometimes I just think we think we know better than whoever had the warning sign made for us. So again, we agreed earlier that all uh, scripture is the inspiration of God. So as we come before the Lord, we're going to rest on that. And I am not saying that the text that we're going to read in the applications, I'm not saying that we, uh, any one of us or us as a church, um, are doing what the forefathers were doing, but what I'm simply doing is pointing the fact that Paul was warning the Corinthians of what happened before, and he didn't want that to happen to them, so thus the warning for us. So let's start by going to Psalm 106, please, and we'll read verses 1 through 7. And again, we will develop this much more, the entire psalm, next week. We're unsure, uh, many of the scholars are unsure if this particular psalm is, is um, attributed to David or not. Uh, many of them believe it is. But, but here the psalmist is looking back to the plight of his uh, fathers in Egypt. If it is David, it would have been 440 years prior when this had happened. So let's read uh, verses 1 through 7. So the psalmist says, Praise ye the Lord, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people, O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thy inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt, 
They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. So again, we will develop that a lot more and go through the entire psalm next week. But what the psalmist is doing is he's starting out and he's extolling the Lord, he's praising the Lord, and then he acknowledges with his forefathers that we have sinned, we have committed iniquity. And um, in verse 6, he was, you know, grieved because the, they did not understand the, the wonders in Egypt, what God had, had done for them. And later on in the psalm next week, we're going to talk and we're going to see, despite all of that, we're going to see the mercy of God. But I wanted you to see that the psalmist wrote this hundreds of years after what had taken place, and he was writing and pointing back to what the fathers did not understand. They did not heed the warnings. And so all this time later, Paul is writing in Corinthians. He's writing to the Corinthians and pointing back to the forefathers. And so from the Apostle Paul's time to our time, as we're reading it tonight, is roughly 1,900 years. So after all these years, I guess the rhetorical question, are we any less needy for direction or guidance as the forefathers were or as the Corinthians? And obviously the answer is no. So we need to heed the warnings that Paul is going to give um, to the Corinthians. And just a, a personal caution as, as we read this, and when I say a personal caution, I'm speaking for myself. Um, one of the scriptures that came to me, quite honestly, because I've, re- I've read through Corinthians many times, but I usually read through it, and, you know, I'm thinking, quite honestly, I'm thinking, you know, this Corinthian church, you know, how, how could they do this? You know, they had the Apostle Paul there. Um, and, and again, I just... I think that we need to come before the Lord with, you know, just a, a heart of humility because I know in my mind I've judged them before. So the scripture that came to me was Luke six forty one, which is obviously talking about, you know, judging another brother. But um, I think it it's a good caution for us as we read this book that we aren't, you know, examining the Corinthians and what they didn't do, but that we're using it as a warning. So Luke 6.41 says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thy own eye? So as we read Corinthians tonight and see what the Lord has, I want to come, and not with a judgmental eye, but I want to come with a, a, a heart of humility, and I want to learn what maybe they did wrong, where they could have followed the Lord, and again, this is the whole reason that Paul, the section that we're going to read, is, is writing because he is wanting to encourage, he's wanting to warn, just like that sign says, 6% grade, next five miles. He doesn't want them to be, you know, in risk of, of danger spiritually. So the outline, uh, we will get there yet to the scripture, but the outline is going to be basically four, four points. We're going to look at who are or who were the Corinthians. We're going to look at when was Corinthians written. We're going to look at the struggle of the Corinthian church. And then the last part and the most applicable part, we're going to learn from their scars. And again, that's why I've titled it, because in samples, uh, one of the Greek definitions is it's a scar, it's a model. 
So the makeup of the Corinth and the church. Uh, just real simply, and, and you've heard Pastor Dwight and many others teach, it, it was a very, very large city. It was a city of about 500,000 people at the time of Paul's ministry. And it really was a culmination of, of all walks of life. You know, you could liken it to Las Vegas, any big city. But it, the, the people were flocking, you know, like they do to big city. They were flocking to Corinth. And it was made up a lot of merchants and sailors. There were a lot of professional gamblers and athletes because they had some games there called the Estamian games. So people, the athletes were coming there and they were partaking in the games. All kinds of people were gambling on the, um, on the, you know, the athletes at these games. There, there was a large amount of freed slaves that were just roaming the streets. They were, they were slaves, they were freed, and they really didn't have anywhere to go and they were just roaming the streets. And then you mix in um, the abundancy of male and female prostitutes. So that's what made up the city of Corinth. I mean, just all over the place. It was a real melting pot. And so who were the groups, though, that made up the church, the Corinthian church, when Paul was there? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 2 tells us, and and Paul was writing, he says, you know that you were Gentiles, and then he goes on. So I just pointed out for reference, so those were Gentiles, they were pagans. Then in 1 Corinthians 7, 21 and 22, there's a reference as he talks about being free and slaves. It would appear that a good part of the church were also slaves. And then if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the, the chapter that we all know where he, he talks about meat offered to an idol, and, you know, if it offends your brother, you know, don't do it. Um, basically, I mean, in context, if you look at it, that was also, that was written to the Jews, because Gentiles wouldn't be worried at all at that point about any meat that was offered to an idol. Um, and again, as I, I dug in, a lot of the uh, scholars believe that it was primarily Gentiles, but there definitely was a group of uh, Jews that made up the church. So you have all these wild stuff going on in Corinth, in the city, people flocking everywhere. Then, as we're going to see, Paul, Paul went there on, on his second missionary journey, and really the church was birthed then, and then it was birthed with um, Gentiles, some slaves, and Jews. That's who made up the church. And again, the Corinth at that time was, they called it the Vanity Fair of the Roman Empire. So it was just abundance of idle amusement. That's what um, the city was, was just totally about. So who, who made up the church? Save sinners from all walks of life. Um, that's who, who made it up. They came from different social, economic, religious backgrounds because they flocked to Corinth from, from everywhere. That's who made up the, the church. And I think we have a tendency to look and, and you know, say, well, okay, that was you know, thousands of years ago. But really, if you look at you know, Calvary Chapel, Appleton, the city of Appleton, whatever neighboring city, um, you know, people come from all walks of life. They had, um, before they were saved, they came from all, you know, debased different things, but we're really not different than the Corinthian church. 
people were doing what they were doing what was right in their own eyes. They got saved, and a church was formed. So that's a little background on the makeup of the church. Uh, so when was Corinthians written? I'm not going to go through this just to give you dates. It does have some significance when we talk about their struggle. Um, I like to use reference maps when I'm reading um, different historical accounts because it helps me to kind of, as I'm reading the word, it, it helps me to kind of, you know, plug things in when I can actually see a map like this with Paul's missionary journeys, but um, highly encourage it. So the dating of this book, most historians believe, um, I'll spare you all the details, but they believe about A.D. 51 is when the Corinthian church was birthed. Okay, um, And if you go to Acts somewhere around 1540, 41, this would have been Paul's second missionary journey. On his first uh, missionary journey, he, he never even reached that part of um, the world, so he didn't go to Corinth. He went on a second missionary journey, um, and that you can find that in Acts 15.41. And then if you fast forward to Acts 18.11, we know that Paul spent one and a half years in Corinth. So on his second missionary journey, he went to um, Corinth, and he spent a year and a half. Acts 18.11 says, And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. I think it's very important because we're going to talk about their struggles later. Paul wasn't just hanging out. He was teaching the Corinthian church for a year and a half. He was there. So then after that, Paul continued on his second missionary journey. And and then on his third missionary journey, uh, one of the the first cities he went to on his third missionary journey was uh, Ephesus. And in Acts 19.10, Paul um, references that he spent two years in Ephesus. And then in 1 Corinthians 16.8, while writing to the Corinthians, Paul says, but I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. So I'm trying to put the building blocks together for you. It was the third missionary journey. He went to Ephesus, and the scriptures tell us he was in Ephesus for two years, and then he writes to the Corinthians after he had already been there on the second trip. So if you do the math of A.D. 51, one and a half years in Corinth, two years in Ephesus, approximately it would uh, point to uh, like A.D. 55 or 56 when Corinthians was penned written back to the Corinthian church, which was birthed in A.D. 51. So four, at a minimum, maybe five years after Paul was in Corinth, this letter was written to them to warn them. So I think that's very significant because we're going to talk now about their struggle. If you want to start, we're going to go through maybe six or seven different chapters and talk about the different struggles. If you want to go to chapter 1, verse 7, we'll start there. So we learn in verse 7, when Paul was, you know, he had a, a wonderful greeting uh, to the church of God in, in verse 2, he said, and he says, grace be to you in, in uh, verse 3. and verse 4, I thank God always. And then in verse 7, he says, um, well, he talks in verse 6, he says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So he, he's, 
he's letting the Corinthians know that, that your testimony in Christ was confirmed. And he said regarding the Corinthian church in general that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not going to talk about the misuse of the gifts and that they weren't done in order. But the point is this church was gifted spiritually. And then if uh, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. And, and this is why I spent time dating when the book, when the church started and when this letter was penned to them because let's just say a minimum of four years. Four years after Paul was there and the Lord you know, birthed that church and gave him the opportunity to teach for a year and a half in, in Corinth. In chapter 3, verse 2, he said, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. Often when I'd read Corinthians, I'd think, well, okay, he was there a couple of weeks, you know, he talked to him, and then he's writing saying, come on, guys, you know, um, I can't even feed you with meat. I'm just, you know, feeding you with milk. But that's why I think it's very important to see that in reference there, he's saying at that time, you know, I had to feed you with milk. But you know what? Even after all this time, as I'm writing to you from Ephesus, I still need to feed you with milk. You cannot bear the meat. You know, and, and again, when you read the word and you're getting ready to teach the word, um, you have to ask yourself, um, you know, the questions, the application. You know, are, is there times, even though I've been walking with the Lord for a while, and I think all of us have to, um, you know, ask ourselves the question, are there times where maybe the Lord would say, you know, I, I have to feed you with milk because, you know, you're not uh, wanting to or maybe not willing to uh, take the meat that I have for you. So I just thought that was very important of the timeline on, on why uh, Paul was writing to the Corinthians. So again, we're talking about the struggle of the Corinthian. Again, we, we learned from chapter 1 they came behind no one else as far as the gifts. They had the gifts. Paul is just pointing out the struggles that they had. And then if we go to um, the very next verse, we see the carnal's believers in this church, what they had. For yet you are carnal, Paul says, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men. And then uh, we've got kind of a big portion here. I'd like to read uh, chapter 4, if you want to turn over to 1 Corinthians 4, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 21. So Paul, again, as he's writing to the Corinthians, it would almost seem like he was getting information that they were questioning him, because he says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of a man's judgment, yea, I judge not my own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord cometh, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. 
and then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? In what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now ye are full. Now ye are rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, that you also might reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are all the offscoring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up, as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod? or in love, and in the spirit of meekness. So, again, we're talking about the struggles of the Corinthian church, and obviously Paul is writing to them, because he, he, he said, I, I'm writing to warn you, and it wasn't to shame them, but there, there was, we already talked, that there was envying, there was strife, there was divisions, um, they were they were still carnal. They couldn't handle meat, and on top of it, they were being puffed up. And they were even, in a way, they were they were questioning Paul in his authority, in terms of his ministry. Um, you know, and again, I have to ask myself: Are are there times um, in the deep recesses of our hearts where maybe pride enters our hearts? You know, to motivate us to do what we do. Or maybe the pride in our heart keeps us from doing what we should do. Um, and again, these are just things I always ask myself because the word was left here. It's not like any other book. It is here for me to, again, doctrine is, is sometimes it's for correction, sometimes it's for instruction, and I have to ask myself, what does this mean for me? And and I think about Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart Jeremiah tells us, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins 
even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So again, I don't even know my own heart, and I know that I'm a sinner, and if unchecked um, and not cultivated by fellowship and the word and prayer, you know, I can become very puffed up. I can have a heart of, you know, envy and strife. So I think it's very important, again, the struggle that the Corinthians are going, all this is building up, mind you, what we're talking about is building up to Paul now wanting to encourage the Corinthians to listen to the written word and the, the, the model, the scars of the forefathers, that it would be a warning that, that they would heed. And then um, most people know about 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 6, just making reference to it. Um, Paul says, but brother goes to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. So amongst many of the other um, things that were going on, the struggles that the Corinthians had, they also had gotten to the point where they were willing to take you know, their brother or their sister to a worldly system to try to um, you know, take care of their problems. So Paul mentions that in chapter 6. Um, we won't touch on uh, chapter 7. Chapter 7 was some questions that obviously came to Paul somehow, and he was answering some of the questions that they had. And then chapter 8, again, as I mentioned, was uh, talking about those things uh, in regards to offering uh, meat you know, to idols and then eating. But uh, we are going to camp for a little while on 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So, um, in context, I think you're going to see in some of the scriptures that I'm going to point out, it would seem again like chapter 9, like Paul is answering maybe some information, some questioning that got back to him about the Corinthian church that was maybe questioning Paul and in and his ministry. Because in verse 3 he says, Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. And then he goes, he goes on. Um, and in verse 6 of chapter 9, if you just carry the thought through, he says, Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? So he was... He, he's answering the Corinthians. This just didn't come out of the blue that he decided, I'm going to write this to the Corinthians. His ministry, they were questioning um, his, examining his authority, and so Paul, you know, was writing and was addressing it. And then if we read uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 11 to 12, Paul says, If we have sown unto you, meaning he and Barnabas, spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? And I think anybody would reasonably say no. I mean, if they, you know, did what they did to spiritually encourage the Corinthians, he's just saying, is it a small thing if we would reap your carnal things or, you know, um, your, your, your money to, to take care of us? And any, any, obviously, it's a rhetorical question. The answer would, would be no. And, and then in 12, he says, If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? So apparently there were some others in the Corinthian church that were exercising some power over the Corinthians. But Paul's just saying, if, if they 
are having this power over you are not we rather you know because of spiritually what we've we've done for you so again paul's trying to make a point here and then if you go to down to verse 18 paul says what is my reward then verily that when i preach the gospel i may make the gospel of christ without charge that i abuse not my power in the gospel so we're going to read a few other scriptures but but paul was was telling them listen i really i have a right it would be okay you know for for you to help barnabas and i but he's saying that uh you know he wants his reward to preach the gospel. He wants to be without charge because he didn't want to be accused of abusing his power in any way, you know, to or over the Corinthian church. So he writes this in in verse 18. And then if we go down to 19 through 23, we get a real heart into uh, Paul's, uh, I guess you could say, philosophy of ministry. He says, Paul says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are out that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Again, I'm not passing judgment on the Corinthians, but if you if you kind of add up everything that we've gone through in Corinthians, there was envy, there was strife. Even though they were blessed spiritually, you know, with spiritual gifts, um, they still couldn't handle the meat. And, and now we get to the portion where it, it seems like they were questioning Paul's authority in his ministry and why he had a right, you know, to do what he was doing. And, and and that's why Paul wrote this, and he just said, you know, this is this is my philosophy of ministry. I came that I might, you know, reach any and be a servant of all. And again, we read earlier that they were puffed up, the Corinthians, and we know that was part of the problem with the spiritual gifts. Even though they were endowed with spiritual gifts, they were not using them um in the right order because they were wanting to be puffed up. And we find uh, later on in in Corinthians, which we won't read um, tonight, but I don't know if you remember when they were having the love feast and everybody would get together in the early church and they would come together and they would, they would eat. Well, some of the, um, some of the, you know, it was just like a big show for some of them that, that had the ability. They were, you know, just, you know, getting drunk and they were being very lavish with their food and everything. So, you know, Paul is just saying, listen, you know, I came to reach everybody and basically he would be the servant of all. And one of the reasons I prayed the way I prayed today, and I think all of us... Um, 
you know, would want to say, as Paul says in verses 26 and 27, um, Paul again here is making a point to the Corinthians on how he wanted to finish his ministry. He says, I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. So again, nowhere is Paul saying that he is not a sinner. We know from Romans that, you know, he said, sometimes the things I want to do, I don't do, and then the things I don't want to do, I do. But he is, again, letting the Corinthians know, and as we're making the transition to our text here, they had struggles, Okay, we have struggles, but he, he points out in Corinthians for us in written form the struggles that they had and, and he was letting them know that, hey, I want to finish the race well. And really what, what he shows is he was very purposeful and disciplined is what he was saying. He didn't say he was perfect. He didn't say he wasn't a sinner, but he was going to do whatever he had to to make sure that he he kept his body and bring it into subjection into subjection and again if you if you think about the whole idea of running the race you know and not beating the air he's just saying in the christian walk i'm in a race and i want to finish well i don't want to run out of gas before the end and anybody who is in any type of, whether it's be the arts, music, uh, athletics, whatever they may be into, if you are going to really make that your focus, then you have to be disciplined. You have to be purposed. And this is what Paul is telling the Corinthians. So with all of that um, backdrop, we are now going to our text and don't worry, we will still get done on time. So let me read chapter 10, 1, and take us up to uh, verse 11. Chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Okay, so we took um, a quick look at Corinthians and the struggles that they had. And remember the key verse is 
Verse 11, he's wanting to point them back to the forefathers that what happened to them would be written that there would be a warning, like the warning sign going down Floyd Hill in Colorado, that it would be a warning. But what he's going to do here is he's going to actually connect chapter 9 um, with uh, chapter 10. We see the word moreover. I don't know what you have in your translations, but um, it's really the word moreover is connecting both chapter 9 and chapter 10. Um, and that word in the Greek has actually eight different meanings uh, for the word in Greek. In this particular um, instance, that word, the Greek word is, uh, I believe it's pronounced gar, which is um, our English, best word in English would be for. So what it, what it really does is it connects what we just briefly went through in chapter 9, talking about Paul being questioned about his philosophy of ministry, that he was going to be all things to all people and serve all, that he might finish the race well. And this, you know, we cannot... We cannot get you know sucked into the okay. It's a new chapter, a different thought. It is not. Moreover, is a connecting word, and in um, I've talked before in IBS inductive Bible study, but this word is um, a structural law, which is substantiation. So what it means is normally what we see is if you do this. This will be the effect. But in this case, this Greek word is connecting chapter 9 and 10. And, and what it's doing is it's doing the reverse. So the cause would be chapter 10. And the effect would be what we just got done reading in chapter 9. So the, the way I try to kind of just sum it up in a few words is chapter 10 is the warning or the cause for chapter 9's content of the way Paul was going to run the race and conduct his ministry, or should I say, live his life. So Paul is pointing the Corinthians back to what the forefathers, uh, some of the, the mistakes that they did, the warnings, which we will go through them one by one. He's saying, because of that, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to... Be purposeful. I'm going to be disciplined in my ministry. I am going to, you know, be all things to all people. And I'm going to do whatever's needed to reach them and to be a servant of all of them. So I, I want to really make that point that we cannot just disassociate chapter 9 and say that's done. Now we're in 10, which is our text today. They are very much related. So with that being said, as we look at chapter uh, 10, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to see something very similar next week when we um, really dig into this more, and the psalmist talks about the same thing. But basically, what you have here is uh, in verses 1 through 4, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you be ignorant how that all the fathers were under the cloud, all past through the sea. They were all baptized unto Moses and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual rock for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. And again, we've all read the Old Testament 
detailed account of, of what happened, what the Lord did. What, what Paul is wanting to point out here, and again, you'll see the psalmist points out the same thing, is that they were incredibly blessed, they were incredibly protected and provided for by the Lord, but yet, with all of that, some of them were still overthrown. I mean, they had the, the, the pillar by night, you know, the fire that was guiding them. They had during day, they had the, the, the cloud that would go over, um, you know, Israel, and it would protect them from the heat. They had safe passage through the Red Sea from the enemy that was following them. So time after time after time, the Lord protected, provided for, drew the Israelites out of Egypt. And yes, they were in the wilderness, but he was taking them to the promised land. But yet, we see in verse 5, but with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So the, the application here is, even though they had many spiritual privileges, extraordinary advantages at that time, because the Lord was going before them, it still did not always equate to they were all going to do you know, what they were called to do. And so Paul is using this again as a warning and saying, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. So he goes into, from here in verse, um, actually, I want to step back for a minute, um, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. Uh, we know they were overthrown in the wilderness from verse 5. Numbers twenty six sixty five tells us, For the Lord had said of them, They shall surely die in the wilderness, and there was not left a man of them, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. And just a reminder for those, you know, those of us that it is, they were actually the two spies that said, no, that land is okay, you know, we can go there. The other spies said, you know, no, we can't go there. The, you know, they're too strong, uh, we just can't go there. But um, I just wanted to make reference to Numbers that was pointing back to that. And Hebrews also points back, Hebrews 3.17, uh, talking again um, about the Israelites. It says, but with whom was he grieved? 40 years, obviously, talking about the Lord. Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And we'll talk about that in, in just a, you know, a second here. But, but really, if you, if, you, if you look at the map, read some of the historians and the, the journey, even on foot, from leaving Egypt to the Promised Land, they figure month, month and a half, Hard to take that many people, you know, women, children. But about a month to a month and a half traveling on foot from Egypt to the promised land, you could make it in a month and a half. But how long did it take? It took 40 years. And uh, one of the reasons it took 40 years is because they weren't willing to trust the Lord. They weren't willing to allow the Lord to guide them into the promised land. Um, and again, we're going to see in verses 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, we're going to see the particular problems that the Israelites 
had and why it took them not a month and a half, but why it took them years and years and years of wandering around because they were not being obedient and they were not listening to what the Lord had told them. You know, and again, God forbid that that would ever be any of us in our walk that, you know, maybe where the Lord wants to get get us to that it wouldn't take us 10 years when we look back and we could have been there in 10 days because of our unwillingness or our stubbornness or our pride. So when we look at verses 6, Paul's warning to the Corinthians about the forefathers, what should the Corinthians, or again, I will personalize it, what should us Appletonians not do as the Israelites did? Again, that's the warning. The warning is don't drive 80 miles an hour down a 6% grade in Colorado and drop several thousand feet because if your car goes out of control, you will be dead. I mean, that is the warning. So what should we be warned about? Well, in verse 6, he starts out and he says, Now these things were examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also Lusted. And if we could go back to Numbers 11, verses 4 through 6, and we'll read that. And I will just touch briefly on these, and we'll use Old Testament references to point to what Paul was writing to the Corinthians. So, they should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So, Numbers 11, verses 4 through 6. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did in Egypt, eat, uh, Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. And then if you jump over to verse 13, when Moses was talking to the Lord, he says, Whence should I have flesh to give unto all these people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. So when we look at um, this reference in Corinthians, where he says that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted, and we just read the account there, you know, what, what does the, the lust mean in the Greek? I mean, I think most of us know what it means, but it means to long for to the point that you are craving something that you are setting your heart upon it. And it's not necessarily about the food, the leeks, and the onions. The, the point is that's the life. Those are some of the physical things they were eating. That's the life they had in Egypt. They were called out of Egypt. They were now... Um, in the wilderness, God was providing for them supernaturally what they needed to survive. But no, they were looking back to what they had in Egypt in its representation of the flesh. The flesh. They're craving something that God chose not to provide for them. He could have gave them leeks and onions. There's nothing wrong with that food. The point is that was representing of the flesh, the, the bondage that they were coming out of in Egypt. And so, 
God was going to sustain them with what was needful for their new life, but they were lusting. They were looking back to Egypt and saying, this is what we want. Give us some leeks. You know, give us some onions. And so the application I have to make is, what happens in my life, whether it be food, whether it be my job, whether it be financial difficulties, whatever it might be, um, you know, are there times where maybe, you know, I'm just not happy with what God says should be plenty for me. So I just think it's important for us. Again, Paul wrote to the Corinthians a warning not to lust after evil things as they lusted. And, and we looked. So the application is we need to make sure we keep our heart right before the Lord. And, you know, the things that the, the Lord wants of us, that, that's what we, we should uh, choose to do. And then he talks about idolatry in verse 7. He tells um, the Corinthians, Neither be you idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And we will find this in, sorry, Exodus 32, verses 1 through 8. Again, this is referencing the idolatry. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us, for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he made it a molten calf, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I had commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereon, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So again, 1 Corinthians, Paul was warning the Corinthians about idolatry and he points back to this account in Exodus. And you know, it's really, when you, when you stop and look at it, it's pretty disturbing what they did. I mean, they, they told us in verse 1, make us gods to go before us. They had the living God. They wanted something physical. They said, make us gods to go before us. And uh, Exodus 32, 8, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land. They were giving glory to a man-made God that came from all of the gold that they had given. Um, they were giving glory to an image, you know, and far be it from us ever, 
ever to give any glory to a man or to an, anything that we know that only the Lord could provide for us and has done for us, you know, that we would ever. But this is what they did. They, were, they wanted their own God that they could see and put faith in, and they were giving glory to these gods that brought them up out of the land of Egypt when it was nothing you know, but um, blasphemy what, what they were saying. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 8, I'll just read it again. The, the next thing um, was fornication, committing fornication, Paul talked. He said, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. And for this, we're going to go to Numbers 25, please. And we'll read verses 1 through 9. So, verses 1 through 9. In Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods. In Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined to Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who are weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel, and the woman through her belly, so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. So here, the Israelites had committed fornication. Uh, and again, fornication can have many meanings, but um, basically it's indulgence, it's a sexual indulgence in unlawful lust. And uh, figuratively, the, the Greek word can, can take on the, the meaning of practicing adultery. But what was going on here, I don't know if you remember, but earlier, King Balak wanted to curse Israel. So he hired Balaam to try to curse Israel, and things weren't working, um, and he was unable to curse Israel. So basically, what he did was he started scheming, and he, he brought the daughters of Moab. So that's what we see where Israel was aboding, and and so basically, he couldn't, you know, have Balaam actually curse, but his, his idea here was, I'll get, you know, I'll use the Moabitess women, the daughters of Moab, to draw in the Israelites, and then you know what? You know, they will be cursed because God's going to curse them because they're not supposed to do this. You know, and it, and it worked. What, what had happened is... Um, you know, there was disobedience. They, they, first of all, it, again, it's unlawful lust. They, they weren't, you know, to my knowledge, they weren't married to these women. And, and 
Israelites weren't even supposed to be, you know, taking daughters of Moab as uh, wives or, you know, anyway. So they were disobedient. And, and really what they were doing is by the fornication, it started out with fornication. They were uh, mixing themselves or joining themselves with the daughter of daughters of Moab. And, and then what we see very quickly in verse 3, and Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. Well, Baal Peor is, is just a, um, you know, the, the false deity that they worshipped, but they used the daughters to, to pull in uh, the Israelites sexually, and then they got them, once they did that, they got them to now worship their, their false gods. So w- what I see is in this case, and I believe it's in every case, if you go back to uh, Genesis 3.3, what, what did the Lord say in Genesis 3, 3? You shall not eat of it, the, the, the fruit of the one tree. Well, what you have is disobedience to what God clearly has said then leads to further compromise. It happened back in the garden, and in the case that we're reading here, disobedience, they were doing something that they knew that they shouldn't have done. That led to further compromise, which spiritually cost them um, because they they were worshiping false you know gods, and then ultimately it ended up costing uh, twenty three thousand of them their lives because they were disobedient. And and again, the application is whether our work life, um, you know, talking to the neighbors, our social life, you know, we need to be careful that um, e- you know even in a spiritual way that we would never mix or join ourselves in in a way in which the Lord would not want us to. Now there's a big difference between Paul said he would become all things to all people, but Paul was not going to uh, change or be disobedient to the Lord in him trying to reach people. But here clearly in the story that we read here, they were disobedient. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 9, moving on, tempting of Christ. Just let me read it one more time. This is another one of the warnings. Neither let us tempt Christ. So Paul was saying, Corinthians, let us not tempt Christ as some of them, our forefathers, also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. And this we can find in Numbers 21, verses 4 through 6. So verses 4 through 6, just talking about the Israelites when they were journeying, um, Verse 4, and they journeyed from the Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. So here we have them tempting Christ, is what Paul said. And we look back here, and they're speaking against God and against Moses for where they are. Again, they're looking back. They're not looking forward to what God has called them. They're tempting Christ. And, and to tempt means to um, 
I guess the word that I like not only test, but the word I like best that I think describes what they were doing here is scrutinize or examine. They were they were scrutinizing Moses leading them. They were they were scrutinizing or examining what God was doing for them, and they weren't happy with it. And I think that's a dangerous, very dangerous place to be with the Lord. You know, and really what what right ever do we have as believers, um, the Lord, you know, the Lord's plans for us are good and not evil. What right do we have to question, as, as they did, the plan that God has for us? He's a perfect God. And it just leads me to the scripture of Jeremiah where, uh, just paraphrasing uh, 18 verse 6, the Lord said, speaking to, to the nation of Israel, he said, cannot... I do with you as this potter. You know, go back and read it. You know, you know the story. Does the clay say to the potter, why have you made me like this? No, the potter has full control of fashioning and shaping that clay into what he wants it to be. And he knows what he's doing. He's the potter. We are the clay. And again, I, I think we see this in very stark, you know, form here. In, in chapter 21, they were speaking against God and against Moses. And then the last thing that we see that they were doing, um, I'm sure that they were doing you know, many other things, as, but is in 1 Corinthians 10, the last one that Paul told them, he said, neither murmur you as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And for this, we'll go to Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4. And we're almost wrapped up here. Verses 1 through 4. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. So again, the warning from Paul to the Corinthians, the last uh, part of the warning was he said, you know, let's not murmur, um, you know, against the Lord. And, and murmuring is, you know, Grumbling, we know what it is, grumbling and complaining. They, um, they were responding to the evil report. We had, remember there were the 10 spies? They gave an evil report, and they were, they were taking that bad report, and they were looking at their circumstances, and they said, listen, we want to get a captain, and we want to go back to Egypt. They were grumbling against God's plan for their life. And again, I have to ask myself the question, are there times that I grumble? I know there are. If I'm being honest, you know, maybe it's not as severe as um, any of these as severe as, as, as what our forefathers went through. But there's times when the Lord's doing things in my life that I'm, I'm grumbling. You know, the word says that his ways are not our ways. He sees the beginning to the end. When I'm in the middle of it and I don't like it, I'm grumbling. I'm sure I'm grumbling. 
And that's why I think this is such a great uh, warning for us that Paul gives to the Corinthians of the things that we need, um, you know, to be concerned with. So again, in wrapping up, I want to again go to chapter 10, verse 11. Paul wrote this and he pointed back and he said, all these things, we just named a few, you know, they were lust after evil things, they were idolatry, committing fornication, tempting Christ and murmuring. He said, all of those things happened unto them for examples, for a pattern, for a scar, if you will, that would be a reminder. And they are written, Paul said they are written for the admonition. And again, admonition is for the training and warning. I am in no way saying that, you know, we are, have done to the, to the depth that what the Israelites have done. But if Paul felt the need to warn the Corinthians about what had happened because he wanted them to make sure that they finished well, then we should also want to take this warning that he gave to the Corinthians, point, pointing back to the forefathers to learn what happened and maybe you know where they erred so that we don't go there. And again, next week we will examine uh, Psalm 106, which again is going to be a little bit of a repeat because it's going to talk about the wonderful things that the Lord did, the provisions for the children of Israel. But then it's going to talk about, as I read earlier, the psalmist said, you know, we have committed iniquity. It's going to talk about that. But the good news is near the end of the psalm, it, despite all of that, it's going to talk about the, the mercies of God and um, just God's provision for his children. So let's uh, look to the Lord. And uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you for your warning in your written word that we have that Paul gave to the Corinthians, that it is to be an example, that as we look at what happened to the Israelites, many of them, they wandered around for 40 years and, and should have been able to handle the journey in a month and a half. Lord, they, they fell into many things, Lord, that were not of you. And so we just pray for this warning. We pray that we take it to heart and just search our heart in those areas in our life. Lord, uh, we just want all of you and we know your way is best. Being obedient, Lord, there is nothing in, in the will for a believer. Lord, you have no evil purposes. Your, your plans are good for us. And we just come before you acknowledging that we don't understand your ways always. Because your ways are not our ways. They are far above our ways. We thank you for your word. I pray that every believer here, everyone listening would be encouraged. And that this would spur us on to finish this year and go into the next year wanting to hold on to all of the promises of God, your plan and your purpose and um, as you're leading us uh, through this pilgrimage here. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.